Superman Forever Radio, Episode 124, Super Baby, Out of Control. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Hello and welcome to the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. My name is Bob Fisher. This is a show where I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. Well, hi, and how are you? Glad you could be here. Yeah, we're we're not a real regular schedule anymore. <laughs> could you figure that one out? Uh, but uh, do subscribe. That'll make things a lot easier for you to pick them up and, and then your podcatcher will have it when, when we upload. So, uh, go ahead and do that. That'll be cool. And then, then you won't miss anything because I can't really promise a weekly or a bi-weekly. I can promise to put one out every once in a while. So please subscribe. Also email by all means, send some email. Next episode we're going to do, uh, if everything goes according to plan, we're going to read some of them for you. Uh, and I'll answer them on the air. So if you have any questions or comments, things you want to say about the show or Superman in general, send them to Bob at supermanforever.com. Bob at supermanforever.com. A little later in the show, Mike Zumo is going to stop by. Mike Zumo, you know, from the Man of Screen podcast over on the Two True Freaks Network. I was on the show, lucky enough to be on it for a few episodes, as you'll hear Mike and I talk about a little later. But Mike's here to talk uh, about <laughs> Super Baby. That's right. The Adventures of Superman. Not when he was a teenager. Not when he was a boy. Not when he was a little boy. But when he was a toddler, a baby, me thirsty, me want water. Oh, yeah. But Mike and I are going to be talking about that and uh, having a little fun a little later on. You know, and it, and it and it brought up all kinds of, you know, thoughts and things when I started thinking about doing the Super Baby Show quite some time ago now. But I think it's very interesting because obviously when these things were written, not only was I a little boy, uh, they were even bef some of these were written before I would, you know, existed. Uh, which brings on the other. I think that's awesome. I, I, I love to watch this on Facebook sometimes when I'll see somebody, uh, without telling their age, say, when I was a kid and go into how things have changed and, and are different. And, uh, that's pretty much true for all of us. But when you say, you know, when I was a kid and act like, you know, there's, there's and you were born uh, in the 21st century, <laughs> you know, uh, not the kind of changes we're looking into. OK, uh, but I was thinking about that. The kids of today, the eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds of today versus the eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds of the 50s and 60s. Now, there are some changes. 
And I think it's interesting because uh, we were talking the other day, a few of us, uh, about this. And uh, obviously, one of the big, huge differences between kids through the ages is the amount of freedom they had as kids. You know, I, like I said earlier, I heard somebody on Facebook say, when I was a kid, uh, I got to, you know, get my, uh, every once in a while, my mother or father to take me up to the drugstore drug or whatever to buy a comic or go to the comic shop <laughs> to get some comics. In 1958, there were no comic shops. It was comic racks. It was searching all over town because 7-Eleven carried stuff that the F Jeffrey's Pharmacy didn't and that the Dell General Store, all three of those places in Pine Dell Market, they all different had different uh, comics on their racks. So you had to check them all out. And one of the interesting things is as a little kid in the 50s and then early 60s, one of the big differences, of course, uh, in those days is how you got your comics. But uh, the the amount of freedom that we had is is what you could kind of judge uh, where you stood. Um, you know, as far as like you get a bike for the first time. And the bike you can only ride up and down the block because you're a little kid. You're probably even preschool, not even in preschool yet. So it's up and down the um, not even up and down the block. It's up and down a couple of, uh, from this house to that house where you can still be seen and heard. Uh, but I guess by the time you get to first, second, third grade, of course, third grade, you've got uh, a lot more independence. I remember leaving school for the first day of, of elementary school for the first time, uh, getting on that bus. Uh, but getting to school, you know, showed me that, whoa, this bus is going a lot further than I had gone. And uh, then you start to push your boundaries a little bit, especially, like I say, when you got a little better bike and you're a little older, say, uh, third grade, second, third grade, nine, eight, nine, ten years old. Now you're leaving the block. Now you're, you know, getting up with other kids and you're going on your bike with other kids. No, there's no adult chaperoning. That doesn't happen today. It's rare that kids have as much freedom today as we had then. But that was a really big deal to get a, to get a bike and be able to go, well, to go to the drugstore with your own allowance by yourself to get on your bike and go. A lot, sometimes when I was younger and I didn't have uh, enough money to buy, uh, the amount of comics I wanted that one, we used to, uh, collect bottles. And I remember, yeah, you would redeem the bottles for two cents or some of them were a nickel. So once a week or so, I'd take my wagon and go all to all the neighbors' house. So you got any bottles, got any bottles, got any bottles. They'd give me all the bottles. I'd take them up to 7-Eleven or the drugstore and turn them all in for two to five cents each. Uh, when that started getting popular on my little street that they knew I was coming, uh, I couldn't carry them all in my wagon, so I would tie my sister's wagon to the back of mine. So I'd have two wagons and take those bottles, get a few dollars. And that was an amazing thing. So now I've got money for comics and a hot dog and a Coke and I'm all by myself. And it's amazing. Or with a couple of the guys. 
And, you know, unfortunately that can't happen today, uh, too much where younger kids can just go. Uh, that's too bad. But also the, the toys that kids had. The difference in toys then and toys now, though. I mean, I talk about, you know, when I say the 50s, oh, what a great time it was. Well, in a lot of ways it was. Um, but of course we know the other problems. But, uh, to a little kid living in a suburb, having freedom to ride your bike up and get, you know, stuff and periodically toys. We had good toys, fairly cheap. And I love my toys. I like toys. I wish I still had one. I was telling Kim the other day, I wish I still had all the toys I ever had. But to get my toys that I had back as a kid now cost a small fortune because <laughs> they have the word collectible behind them now. <laughs> so uh, it's going to, that would take a while. Uh, but kids today, you've got, I, I could have never dreamed of uh, a PlayStation 4 or 5 playing MLB for example, MLB the show on the PlayStation. I could never have imagined that uh, as a kid. And this will, this is, I'll leave you with this. This will not leave you, but in the segment with this. One of the toys I had back in the, as a day was my favorite baseball game. I, I love baseball. I mean, I love baseball. And uh, one of the most, the, one of the favorite games I had as a kid was called Gotham Push Button Baseball. Well, Gotham, okay, yay. <laughs> but that was it, Gotham push-button baseball. Tudor tried to revive it later, but they screwed it up by putting that vibrating thing electric and, and really screwed it up. Uh, but Gotham push-button baseball, and here was the thing. You had a little trigger, uh, a little three-prong holder, for the cork ball that you would put in this little cradle and cock the cradle back. And behind the left field fence was a button. And when you push that button, it would throw the ball towards home plate. And as the batter, you had a little wooden bat that was screwed in and held with a spring so that you would hold the bat back. And when the button was pushed to throw the ball, you let go of the bat and the spring would spin it around. And if your timing is good, you'll hit the little cork ball and it'll go somewhere. It was very cool. The infield was made of that, uh, uh, I don't know what it's called, board stuff. It's kind of a cardboardy thing, painted green like an infield. Uh, the outfield was metal. Uh, so was the fence and the rest of the border and all that stuff was metal. And on the little tiny cork ball, on one side of the cork ball was a little magnet. Now go back to that little three-fingered cradle, little three-prong cradle you put the ball in. And when you cock it, you can cock it to two, click or click, click. Click, click is all the way back. And if you put the magnet straight up, when you push the button in the back, it throws it fast, right Right by. If you move that little magnet to say two o'clock and then hit the button, the ball will swerve as it comes towards home plate. So where you hold the magnet and how you cock the, the, uh, where you put the magnet and how you cock the throat pitching arm determines the speed and the spin on the ball. Now everything was metal. Now the players were also 
metal, thin, thin little metal, and, and you had circles all over the field. You put your player in those circles if you're on defense. And if the ball stuck to the player, you're out when you hit it. Stuck to the player with the magnet, you're out. Um, if it stuck inside the ring where a player was, you're out. But if it landed in a anywhere in the field where there was no player and no uh, player in a circle, that was a single. Now, up on the fence, it was beautiful. It looked like stands were painted out there, and it was very gorgeous. And uh, also on the fence, that it was painted into thirds. And on the bottom said single, uh, or it said, I'm sorry, it, it, it didn't. It said double on the bottom. Then, so if it stuck to the bottom of the fence, that's a double. If it stuck to the middle of the fence, that's a triple. And if it stuck to the top of the fence, that was a home run. And it was painted like a blue sky and all that. But some of the neatest things, though, were home runs that actually left the game itself, that you really hit it and it, because it was in relative speed and to a big league, it's hard to explain, but when you did it, it really gave you the especially if you were a little nerd who liked to kept score and do all of that stuff. So you could play by yourself because your left arm could reach the push button and your right arm could handle the bat. Uh, obviously, if you're playing with another person, you take turns. And uh, I used Parcheesi pieces for the base runners instead of the little clear chips or whatever. But anyway, those were great toys. I, I don't want to compare those two, but uh, I had as much fun with that little analog on rainy days playing that little analog game with a cork ball, cork magnet ball and a wooden bat. And uh, I think periodically about looking that up and buying one somewhere and seeing if they're out there. I know there's bound to be one that's in working condition still out there somewhere. Um, probably a couple hundred bucks, $150 or so. But one of these, I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things that you would love to have again but you know it's got the word collectible behind it antique toy so anyway that's a little bit of that but uh you know we're going to talk in a bit with mike about super baby uh because we all give sometimes uh we give the kents uh in two two areas you know we put the kents up on a pedestal sometimes as the greatest parents of all time and then other times when you read some of these super baby stories, you wonder if they knew they had a child at all, <laughs> uh, especially a super powered one. So we'll get into that in a few minutes. So uh, again, thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Uh, let's see what we got coming up. No, we won't. I'll tell you at the end what we got coming up. But for the meantime, send in your email, bob at Superman Forever. Dot com. So after a couple of promos, uh, I'll be back with Mike Zumo from The Man of Screen. Where am I? In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Who are you? I am Andrew Leyland, and for over 200 episodes, I have covered everything genre-related, from the obvious things that everyone talks about, Star Trek, to deep dives into the early issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, via the obscure such as ITC's experimental science fiction dramas The Champions or Department S. It's very cosmopolitan. You never know who you meet next. In the Palace of Glittering Delights. 
Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Available from Two True Freaks and via your podcatcher of choice. After the theatrical cartoons, after the movie serials, a new medium helped define an icon for generations to come. The Adventures of Superman. Join Mike Zumo as the Man of Screen podcast enters the next phase with a year-long look at the 1950s television series The Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves as Clark Kent and Superman. No comment until the time limit is up. Phyllis Coates as Lois Lane during Season 1. What are you afraid of? What are you hiding? And Noel Neal as Lois Lane starting in Season 2. Why did you wait? Jack Larson as Jimmy Olsen. Mr. Kent is Superman. John Hamilton as Perry White. Don't call me chief! And Robert Shane as Inspector Henderson. I don't want excuses, I want action. So, follow along Mike and some possible guest hosts for an in-depth analysis of The Adventures of Superman, starting in June at supermanpodcastnetwork.com and manofscreen.podomatic.com. This is a job for Superman. I mean, I've got to find it. Well, for those of you who were listening to the beginning of the show, you'll know that I happened to mention this guy's name once or twice. Uh, My buddy from the Man of Screen podcast over at the Two True Freaks Network, Mike Zumo. Actually, for the amount of times you've been on my show, this is my first time here. Oh, is it really the first time? It is. Gee. How did I get on your show? Well, you were talking about George Reeves a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was. I talked about George Reeves for 50-some-odd episodes. Oh, those were so. great. I was on a handful of those. Those were... those were. I th- you know, I did the count. You were about half. About half? Really? That's cool. Maybe 40% to half. Wow, that is so cool. Well, I had a blast doing it, and people might wonder sometimes, Bob, you do a Superman show, and you, you've never talked about, well, rarely I say how much I love the episodes, but I've never done an in-depth talk about them. Well, I thought, well, I did them with Mike, man man of screen. They're still out and there. We probably did all, and we probably did all of your favorite episodes. We absolutely did most of them. I think there was one or two we missed, but absolutely we did, you know, Stolen Costume. We did... Uh, Oh, so many. I mean, I could go through the whole first uh We did the human bomb twice. Did we really do it twice? Because I lost the recording. All right, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, podcast 101. Try not to lose the episode. <laughs> but, yeah, those were fun. God, I had such a great time doing those. Because you did all the work. I got to be – it was like doing a sports broadcast with you. You got to be the play-by-play guy. And I just added a little color here and there, talking about how good his curveball was. Right. And the hard thing about the, those episodes was they were usually twice as long as the other ones. <laughs> well, I, I talked a lot. I talked a lot. But now those were – you know, it's funny. Talking about the George Reeves show, mm. I mean, I don't, I don't know when this is going to hit the Internet, right. but Neither do about I. a week or so ago, <laughs> my time, the uh, the homepage for their uh, – I guess it's Superman homepage live now, they call it. Yes. They asked you what your favorite George Reeves episode was. And I actually surprised myself with my pick. What did you pick? I picked Semi-Private Eye. Really? The Jimmy Olsen episode? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you're probably down there. There wasn't a lot of people that picked that. Not a lot of people picking that one. I mean, I just picked that one because... Well, it's a great episode. And it's so much fun. It's so much fun, and, and Jack Larson is at his comedic best. He is so good. 
uh, I think a couple of times even surprised himself when he got out of the bed and the handcuffs and the, oh, it's just such a good episode. I agree. That was the one I picked. Yeah. I would have bet, I, I would have bet the, that, uh, it would have been, um, uh, uh, the memory loss, the, uh, panic, panic in, the in the sky. Yeah. Uh, that's what, you I, know I, what? Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's probably their best episode. Probably. But that's the one everybody was going to pick. I thought so, too. I would think so, too. I would go with, you know, a more controversial stolen costume, maybe. One of my stolen favorite uh, first season, uh, well, there's so many of them, but, you know, I could you could close your eyes and pick one. But uh, the Jade, uh, uh, um, but one of my favorites, though, is the Lois Lane uh, getting slapped around in, um, uh, it was basically a Perry. It started as a Perry and Jimmy. No, two different stories. No, no. Perry and Jimmy yeah. was Evil Three. Yeah, that's a great one too. Another great one. And uh, the one where Lois yeah, was in trouble. Where Lois? Night of Terror. Night of Terror. And uh, uh, those are great ones. The, oh, the one about the uh, uh, hidden, the stolen uh, statues. The where they had a they had to went around. Somebody was breaking where, where they were breaking the statue, yeah, breaking, breaking all the statues. Uh, that's a great little mystery one where they had to put all the clues together. I think they stretched that season, it. That season one episode? Yeah, uh, yeah, Phyllis Coates. Yeah, that was Phyllis Coates. Yep, yeah, because I love the way she screamed because she put one of the keys. She found a key and put it in her lipstick case, and then the bad guys came in to get her, and she had a good scream. She did. Phyllis Coates had a good scream. But you know, we're we're not here again to talk about George Reeves. We could do that all night. We could, and you could go listen to those, to those episodes. Even though my podcast is not active with new episodes at the moment, they're still on the Two True Freaks Network, so you can uh, still find those. Yeah, I, I would recommend back. them highly. You're gonna have to scroll back a little bit because it's been quite a few years. Yeah. I think I started that with like episode 15. Yeah, the last one is like. The post is 205. I finished uh, Superboy. Amazing. Um, and you are on a little hiatus now, or is it see you around? I'm going to look for other things to do. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I announced it as kind of the end. Mm-hmm. I've, I have recorded like five Lois and Clark episodes. Right. But, you know, it's one of those things, you know, maybe it's just I'm tired right now. For I just want to, right. you know, instead of. Yelling into the microphone. Right. I mean, I want to play video games right now. Exactly. At, at night, and you know, I found myself when I was sitting down, and I'm enjoying the Lois and Clark episodes. The season one, so they're still good episodes. Season one is a good season. But see, I sit down at the microphone, and I just don't want to do this. Right. I get it. And especially right now, I don't have I don't have that room in the basement available to me right now. Right. So. Every few nights, I can't be, you know, kind of yelling into my microphone while everybody's sleeping. No, but occasionally <laughs> so. I'll grab you and you can come over and uh, talk Superman over here. Yeah, this, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, because we're going to do this some more, I think. Right, and this is just not me talking to myself. For, <laughs> right, and, solo and podcasting is is uh, challenging. It is. It's a challenge. It really is. Uh, it's a little easier. You know, I found myself sometimes, I knew it was time to get back on the thing when Kim would finally start saying, uh, save it for the podcast. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, am I talking Superman again? Ooh, must be time. 
Well, anyway, I think that's great. You need some time off. You need to head. You know, we'll not, we'll not, we'll leave it up in the air. The files are still there. People can go listen to all of those shows. They are. They're great shows. Uh, even the ones where I wasn't on them all. Those were also pretty good. <laughs> I also kind of hold up my uh, month's worth of Superman the movie episodes as that's probably the high point of the podcast. I was very proud of that. Yeah, one. well, you did some good stuff there. Some good work there. Some good research. Some. You know, and and it's a movie where every Superman fan is familiar with, whether you love it or hate it, think Chris Reeve is the best ever or the worst ever. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's known by every single Superman fan out there. So uh, those are good shows. You should go listen to them. There was an unplanned hiatus right around that time, too, actually, because mm. that was around, right around the time... Uh not to get too personal on the podcast, but that was around the time Stacy and I split up. Right. So Haley and I had actually gone together to see the uh, Fathom, uh, what was that, 40th anniversary? Yes, at that point? I think it was. Uh, of Superman the movie in the theaters, and that was really cool. Yeah. Well, especially being able to see that with your daughter on the big screen, that's that's really cool. I haven't gotten her to watch the, the next ones yet. Mm. But. Yeah, it'll take a while. I can't get my niece, you know, in. I tried saying, hey, how about Stargirl? Maybe that would be a nice one to slip into the superhero stuff. But, you know, I see her and then she'll say, oh, yeah, I forgot. Well, she's busy. She's yeah, smart. Right now, just because of how busy Haley yeah. is, we're two episodes behind. Yeah. And who knows when we're going to catch up. Yeah. They, they, kids get really busy and they're, and you forget they do have their own little brains and their own little worlds. And, you know, sometimes we just think they're sitting there waiting for us to help them with the world and tell them what to do next. When oh no, they're not waiting. They're, <laughs> they're not, not waiting, waiting around. around. No, no, they're not. Well, speaking about children that don't wait around, hey, how was that for a side? Was that uh, that 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 was that was good? Oh, it's almost like you're good at this or something. Boy, that was so. Mm. Well, we don't let a good segue go to waste. Uh, no, so we did. We are here tonight to talk about uh, the two best parents in comic book history. What? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. We're actually here to talk about. And folks, before we go on, yes. I, this is years in the making. Years. Stacy and I were still together yeah. when we started discussing That's true. This. And that was three years <laughs> when ago. When Mike and I talked about doing this episode, it was at least three years ago, maybe four. It might have even been 2018 or 2017. It, it was definitely before September of 2018. Yes. So uh, I wasn't. Li I was living in, the, in my apartment. All right. So that's at least how long we've been talking about doing. At this least stuff. three years we've been talking <laughs> right. about. Right. Well, in 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 my podcast years now, it's only a year because I was off for almost two now. So right. so now it's really only so we can shorten that to that. <laughs> but anyway, we are here to talk about the. I most underrated, under talked, not an underrated, under talked about part of the uh, original Earth. Is he Earth One or Earth Two now? He's Earth Two now, right? He was Earth One. He was Earth One originally, so that's Earth One. Well, who knows what he what he is? Yeah, now. who knows? I do, he don't. He's been when it matters. Doesn't matter. He's been retconned out anyway. And uh, right. we're here to talk about Super Baby. That's probably not a bad thing. Either. No, not a bad thing. As as we have come to find out by actually reading back a few more Super Baby stories. Now, Mike knew right from the get-go 
which super baby story he was going to talk about. And I can't wait. We're going to have fun with that. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But uh, I, I do need to do just a brief history of actual super baby history. And this kind of blew me away with a feather. Once I did some research. Now, some people give it give super baby credit for uh, being first appearance in like Action One or not Action One, but Superman One, which retold the origin of Superman. But that's not true. They say the word uh, "super baby" or "baby of steel," but it's one panel of the of him in the orphanage holding up the crib. We've probably all seen that image, uh, and they reprinted it again in Action Comics number fifty in nineteen forty one, uh, and then definitely in the description to use the word "super baby." But that's not the origin of the character we all came to know in the silver age uh, of wearing the tight, the little, the little, as mom Kent called it, the play suit and going about doing superhero things as a toddler with complete set of superpowers that the adult Superman has when necessary. And we'll get into that in a second. But who created it? You could blow me over with a feather when I realized who did the actual first super baby in costume story and who gets credit for the creation. In Superboy number 8, 1950, release date, writer was Bill Finger, artist Kurt Swan, editor Jack Schiff. Blew me away. Bill Bill Finger was all over early DC Comics, not... His contributions are not limited to uh, co-creating Batman. Not at all. He was all over the place, but had no idea he gets half credit or credit, you know, as they did in the the writer of the first story uh, is who gets usual credit shared now with the artist. So that would be except they didn't except they didn't put credits on these comics. They did not put credit, so you have to do the research, and it's easy if you know Kurt Swan. You look at the story and you go, "Oh yeah, that's Kurt Swan." Very early Kurt Swan, nineteen fifty. At that point, he is still I'm not looking at that right now. This is Kurt Swan. That's Kurt Swan, isn't that? You can tell it almost looks like a Sikowski. Uh It almost looks like he's trying to do a Sikowski. But then you look at the panels of mom and dad and the facial expressions a little later, and there's a scene on the second or third page where he's uh, changing into or out of Clark Kent. And there's the S, there's Clark, there's Kurt Swan right there. Um, and it just blew me because I did the same thing. I had to go back and look. I went, no way is that Kurt Swan. And it is a very early Kurt Swan. He wasn't even doing Superman covers at this point. Uh, he was not the everyday regular Superman writer or artist. And Bill Finger was all over the place. I mean, if you had told me 1950, I would have said, uh, Mort Weisinger made up a silly idea and said, here, Ed Hamilton or Otto Bender, go write the story and Jerry, uh, uh, or Mike Sikowski will draw it. And then you look at it and, well, no, it's, it is Kurt Swan, but, Again, very early Kurt Swan. It just really blew me away. And in that story, what that story is, is Ma Kent is talking to 14-year-old Clark in in his Superman outfit, super outfit. 
and she says, uh, basically, she says that, uh, oh, yeah, and she's been keeping track of his super feats for a long time, and she pulls out the, like, a Superboy family photo album, and there are pictures on each page. And then in flashback, she tells of him doing feats even as a toddler after she made the costume. And there are four of those little flashbacks in this story uh, showing him go back and do super baby things, which are all pretty, you know, uh, they're, they're actually very close to being super regular super boy stories in this particular first issue. They are unlike uh, the traditional regular super baby story in that uh, most super baby stories and I'm most of it. I'm going to stick to it. I didn't do the numbers, but I'm going to stick to most. We'll say if there were a hundred super baby stories. Yeah, I don't think there were that many. I don't believe there were that many, but for easy numbers, 80 to 85 of them would be stories that would open with Mar Pa Kent doing something and then telling Clark to either never do that again or do that always. And then they would lose track of him. And the little baby would then fly off and have an adventure while following a bird. Uh, and then somehow, as a toddler, find his way back to the arms of the Kents, who had no idea that their son for the last two days, three days, week, ten days, month, whatever, had either been on another planet somewhere, under the earth, in space, through time. They had no idea. No idea. And that's mainly a super baby story. Now, if you are one of these modern people who are looking for continuity everywhere, then you really do not want to ever read a super baby story ever in your life. Don't read a super baby story. Additionally, if you don't like fun, don't read this. Exactly. Because (laughs) these are meant to make you groan with laughter. These are sitcoms these are comedies there's rarely a sto- a lesson will be learned but it's a lesson you would learn by watching an episode of happy days or something you're not going to learn a deep lesson from these as i explained most of them are uh uh clark now this doesn't happen all the time so now we know that you can see through things don't do that Oh, you lit my cigar. Well, thank you so much, Super Baby, but don't ever do that again so that people can see. We need to do that. Keep that private in the house. We're, we're, okay, don't ever do that again either. So then he'll fly off and burn down everything he can find with his supervision. But it'll save the day on planet XOR uh, in the year 4550. So you win some, you lose some. Uh, but anyway, that's that's the general thing about Superboy. Now let's get specific. You ready to get a little specific about an episode, an episode, an issue? Episode. I am. Yes, this is going to be good. This is Mike has picked for his uh, story a story that is in one of the most classic Superboy episodes of all time. It's in the first appearance of Pete Ross. Is this the first appearance? It's also of Pete the first appearance of Pete Roth's in that issue. At first, you think Pete's going to be a bad guy. You don't know what he's up to. 
but he pulls a couple of bullies off a of Clark. They become friends, and uh, it becomes, you know, a buddy story. And Pete becomes, you know, the best friend ever, anywhere, at any time. But you have picked the story not so famous in this episode, featuring the Babe of Steel. What's it called? The Unwanted Super Todd. The Unwanted Super Todd. It sounds so and sad, doesn't it? It it does. <laughs> and actually, the Ru- Ruby Spears did kind of a take on this. Ruby Spears, the cartoon guy, did did this uh, story. Not exactly. Not exactly. It was called the Adoption, but the concept is still there. Basically, what happens is, and I'll I'll give a quick rundown of this. The Kents take Baby Clark on a cruise. Why you're taking this toddler on a cruise? I don't know. I wouldn't take Emily on a cruise, right? For the same reason, right? So well, I love when families take their little baby toddlers places, don't you? Yeah, but not 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 on a cruise ship where she could jump overboard. In the cruise ship, and the, oh yeah, jumping overboard. I thought about the other. Yeah. See, I'm not a parent. I was thinking of the other passengers, not the toddler jumping overboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he. he, he he jumped. He jumps overboard because he sees pretty fishes. Of course, and, you know, as a so he dives in the water as a super baby is wont to do, and the Kents are distraught because apparently uh, he got swept away in the current. At least that's what everybody believes. He's swimming with the fishes. He uh, he smacks a submarine for going for hurting the fishes. He fights off some sharks, but eventually he uh, washes up to shore and. He winds up in the Metropolis Orphanage because in these stories, Smallville and Metropolis are the only two places that exist. So he ends up in an orphanage, and this couple, uh, they are the O'Reillys. They adopt him, and they're celebrating, and baby Clark basically eats them out of house and home. <laughs> so they they do what every uh, – and actually, the father says this too – I'm going to read this. You couldn't write this today. This ain't no kid we've adopted. It's a pig with a stomach like a bottomless pit. Back to the orphanage he goes before he gets us out of house and home. He, he's back. So he's back at the orphanage. And then he's adopted by the marigolds. So uh, they're moving into a new house on the same day. And uh, apparently he uh, brings their furniture back to the old house. So... They believe that it's evil spirits. <laughs> so back to the orphanage, the little child goes. <laughs> yeah, then, then there's an inventor. Looks like he broke it. He uh, then, then he gets uh, adopted by this uh, circus couple, not the Flying Graysons. And uh, they figure he'll be happy there because he loves animals, but he plays with the elephants. Circuses gets, were really big back then. Yeah. He's uh, harassing the elephants, uh, making the gorilla angry, and basically agitating the animals. So, again, back to the orphanage he goes. Meanwhile, the Kents are searching orphanages uh, far and wide. And by this time, our unwanted Super Todd has found his way back to the Smallville Orphanage, where he's superhearing, picks up Ma Kent, he yells out Ma, and they find him, and the Kents have to adopt him again. <laughs> <laughs> so they he have been gone long enough, I guess, that his adoption ran out. The ink isn't even dry, but since then he's been adopted like four or five times, and the Kents have to 
Adopt him again. Adopt him again. In this moment, so Martha is very happy to have found him. At this moment, do you know what Jonathan Kent is worried about? Mm. Whether the super shout will betray his superpowers to the world. <laughs> <laughs> that is what Jonathan Kent is worried about in this moment. <laughs> oh, God. So good. So, so good. But they find some excuse with this machine that happens, with the microphone that happens to be near the crib. Why you'd put a puppet show next to the crib, I'll never know. But comics. Comics. Everything has to be in one panel to show it off. Uh, in fact, in retelling, I think it's funny, in retelling the origin story, briefly one panel, just to show that the Kents found the rocket, you see the rocket basically landing right beside the Kents' car. So there it is while they're driving. Oh, it just landed, and there's a baby in it. Well, let's go get it. All right. It uh, So good. So good. And that is kind of the the uh, the narrative of a super baby story. Yeah. Uh, it is just so, so, so terrific. Also, you, you made me laugh in this when you uh, said he with the first parents he was crying so loud because he ate them out of house and home and the guy called him a pig and I was thinking you know I can see baby uh, uh, because of the language the way uh, super baby talked is bizarro talk and right. it, they both say the same thing but mean different super baby goes whammy I'm hungry that means feed me bizarro right. goes mm, me I'm hungry that means he just ate a full meal so uh, it, it's the same obnoxious language. And there is even a story. Oh, God, what episode is it? I can see it. I can see the cover. I think it's Superman. But Bizarro uh, Superman number one and Lois number one had a child. I guess the old-fashioned way. Uh, and it shows them on the cover kind of sneaking behind a rock looking at their baby little baby bizarro number one playing with a toy but it doesn't look like bizarro it looks like a normal like super baby right no, i think i think i remember that right and and they're talking about on the cover how sad they are that their baby is so ugly now you can't get too deep into that because uh, th supposedly everything they say is backwards but they were doing it the right way. They weren't saying, mm, Super Baby, you am ugly, which is what they should be saying. Right. To make their Kryptonian. But it, it, you got into the psychology, and it got too much. It just, your head, you just, no, I don't want to do this every panel for, and the whole comic, and the whole giant. But for a time as a kid, I was really into it, and I would write all this crap down and try to figure out. Well, no, they did that wrong. That's not right. If he says he's ugly, then he means he's beautiful. Right. But then you're thinking to yourself the opposite. Me, I'm so sad our baby not whatever. I need to find that cover to get the exact words. I wrote it down just for this and, and didn't write down the cover. I wrote Bizarro on cover, just like baby, super baby. <laughs> And uh, the baby was very happy to be back with the Kent after uh, after everything that went down. Yeah, as he should be. He just, Did they feed him? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't say it here. They just uh, they just brought him home and sat on the couch. Yeah. Well, uh, I do think it is. It this is couch, this couch pillow here up on the uh, up on the arm looks like a whoopee cushion though. It'll whoopee cushion. 
<laughs> you know, it is interesting that that uh, so many people say Superman would not be Superman were it not for the Kents. Well, that's a 1986 later version. Um, no, 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 because some of the Super Baby and Superboy stories are very heavy-handed with the son when you grow up and become Superman. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They are very heavy-handed, and they're and they are uh, instilling that kind of that kind of. But I think that's retro. <clears throat> the it is responsibility. Obviously we, we, we know he's going to become Superman, so right. The Kents are in on it with us, but it's like, exactly. But it's like, I oh think they really uh, uh, see and and pre nineteen eighty six or Crisis and the Death and Forgetting of Superboy, this is where those of us reading comics got the idea of the Kents being great parents. Uh, because basically they did everything in their life from that point on for the kid. Everything. Right. They sold the farm to move into uh, Smallville proper, uh, had uh, where they had the general store. And, general store, uh, yeah. I love those stories of of Clark helping out in the general store more than him being a farm boy. I could I could see them retelling this Superboy story as well as the Smallville story, as well as the you know grew up totally on a farm, uh, like they're doing basically with with uh, uh, Superman and Clark, the new adventures of Superman on the CW. On the CW, yeah. Every Wednesday night, nine o'clock. <laughs> Tuesday night. Is it Tuesday? Yeah, I yeah, get so it was Tuesday. I don't watch it in real time, so I get. Neither confused. do I. But you know what? I like that show more than I thought I would. <laughs> oh, I like it a lot more than I was ever could possibly have hoped for. I had almost thought, all right, I'll watch it, see what they're doing. But man, I'm gonna have to watch it because Superman. So God, just be something that doesn't annoy the hell out of me. And to my surprise, it's really good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. To the uh, point where when they teased that he was going evil, I yeah. didn't panic. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. I didn't I like, panic because I thought I they like, would these, do the I, right thing. I was like, these writers have – I trusted the writers at that point. So did I. They captured it. They had already shown me they knew the characters, and I didn't think they were going to go that way. It was a nice tease. And setting up that last episode the way they did was just brilliant for what you would expect on a CW show. That first season is an opening, a middle, and an end, all unto itself, and it's uh, just great television. I just, so, just so speaking of stuff on the screen, Bob, did you know Super Baby was actually on TV? Uh, Super Baby. Baby was actually on TV in in live action. No, not in live action, in animated form. Okay, no, I didn't. I didn't remember that. Was was did a Ruby Spears do that? It was part of the Ruby Spears. Yeah, the the underrated and oft forgotten Ruby Spears cartoon, which right. only went about thirteen episodes. There would be the format was there were two episodes. You know, one was the, the fifteen minute main Superman adventure. Right. And then afterwards, there'd be these little snippets of Clark, little little four minute snippets, yeah, called the Kent Family Album. Yes, I do remember and that the, as a whole. And the first two were Super Baby. Stories. No kidding, I'll have to go back and look at those. The first one was the adoption, mm -hmm. which plays out a little bit like 
this story that I just talked Where about. Where they couldn't the actually, he couldn't, couldn't find the right people. It had to be the Kents that tolerated the superness of him. Well, not only, yeah, kind of. <laughs> but basically what happens is, you know, the Kents find him and they bring him to the orphanage. Mm. And basically, uh, Mr. Warner, who is the head of the orphanage, the headmaster, whatever they call those guys, <laughs> says, says to the Kents, Payson tells the Kents they're too old to adopt him. Mm. They, they wanted a younger couple. So the first couple comes in, and they're neat freaks. So they come into the little room with the orphanage, and Clark has just wrecked the room. <laughs> so they freak out, and they're gone. They're gone. And, and then the next couple, we find out they like pets. <laughs> so Super Baby flies out the window, and he brings into his room a full-size lion <laughs> from the zoo, and he's riding on top of it like it's a horse. Yeah, well, Sitting on the lion's mane, kind of petting it on the neck. A pet is a pet. An animal's an animal. A pet is a pet, a, a is a pet but uh, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Pet Lover didn't, uh, didn't appreciate didn't think the lion. So. I think the wife No. <laughs> So, I think the wife fainted, and that was the end of it. So, so then afterwards, Mr. Warner looks at the kid. He's like, are you trying to – like he's trying to say sabotage. who he wants to be adopted yeah. by. That's exactly what he's doing. He's sabotaging it, so he gets adopted by the Kents. So, they can't figure out who he wants to live with, be adopted by. So, that night, he flies out, goes to the Kent house. And just lets himself right into their bed. Aww. Now, I'm a parent. I'm familiar with this sensation. Yes. I've woken up and found a child a in child, my bed. A child sharing your bed, yes. Not what I would prefer to wake up to. But. You know, if someone's going to appear in my bed, you know, maybe uh, an attractive redhead or something. Mm -hmm. But nope, not that. I'm getting a child. So, so they wake up. He puts himself right between Martha and Jonathan. And they wake up. And Martha's like, huh. Oh, How'd he get here? <laughs> if that were me, yeah, I'd be like, how did this child get in my house? And why is he in my bed? Exactly. There would have and, to be some investigations. Yeah. Did they take him back to the orphanage? Well, the episode ends, you know, it does that TV thing where they're mm. in an impossible situation. Yeah. And Jonathan says, well, we'll take him back to the orphanage and say we want to adopt him. Yeah. And then, you know, they're in an impossible situation. there, So that's where the episode ends. Sitcoms do that all the time. Because I want to see the Kent explain this. I would, I'm just thinking here. Yeah, the orphanage people say, hey, where's that kid that was here? He's gone. They go looking around, and they find him at the Kent's. The Kent's, did you, did you, uh, you know, uh, um, hijack this kid? Did you, did, what, did, what did you do? Uh, what's the word I want? Right. Not hijack, steal. Um, kidnap. Kidnap. Did you kidnap this child from our orphan? There'd be all kinds of they they would have really blown was, their chances then. Yeah, there would have been a police investigation here. Yeah. Except for in the comics, the Kents were fairly well known in the small community, very trustworthy, very reliable. Uh, they should have been given the baby on the first shot. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And in most tellings of it, they do. But I think it's interesting that the, some of the writers have done that. So many of the writers have gone back to that that period of time that was mentioned in one panel in the original origin story uh, as a baby picking up that carriage in the or the uh, whatever you call the bed, the crib right. with uh, 
one hand. And a lot of writers would go back to that and say, oh, well, gee, I wonder how long he was in the orphanage. How much trouble could he have gotten into? Uh, one of the stories I was going to talk about, which I thought was interesting, too, is is the fact that the writers, once the character, once we had post-1950, we have the character called Super Baby, a right. baby of steel, a tot, a toddler with a full set of superpowers. Uh, periodically, that little baby showed up doing something goofy and crazy and ridiculous and silly. In one of the stories, again, he, he was flying, he was... Uh, Put on. Uh, so it was before the Kents had made him his little super suit. So he's flying, chasing a bird, and his clothes be- almost burn off of him. He's flying so fast, and he ends up in a another time, and another place on another planet. Which always amazes me that this kid, toddler, you know, finds his way back. The point is going going uh, um, to back to the writers when once this character had been uh, established, then they were pretty much, whether it was Jack Schiff or Mort Weisinger, uh, were pretty much free to let their sci-fi writers come up with 8, 10, 12-page stories about the super baby, putting it in all kinds of different situations. Uh, And that also meant that the writers would kind of... um, uh, take liberties with the age of the baby because we're used to thinking of it as being a tiny infant when put in the uh, uh, what call it in the in, in the, the rocket yes in the well rocket. right but then as silver as the pre-crisis when it took three it took three years two three years for the rocket to get to Earth so he grew a little bit so he grew a little bit and then even in other stories he's already walking and doing the me hungry me love you me whatever on Krypton he was already in the red and blue uh, action suit so to speak uh, as a little toddler on Krypton and that they put a toddler in the in the rocket not a fairly newborn baby uh, because they needed the story and they needed crypto and they needed this. And how could in the story, uh, baby Kal-El in the as the rocket is coming to earth, several things happen in the silver and many things actually <laughs> on that little trip to earth. One, it, it bounces into a, uh, an alien spaceship that got so angry they shoot at it and just make an identical copy of it. And uh, one of the rockets lands in the Kents, and the other rocket lands with some gangsters, uh, a Bonnie and Clyde-type gangster head of stuff, and they raise him. And uh, this show the difference that as the baby gets out of the rocket, the Kents walk over, grab it, hug it, and say, Oh, new baby, we love you. Ooh. And the little baby, Ma, Pa, almost right away. The other baby get, falls out of the rocket in the uh, gangster's place, starts to come towards them like it's going to cry or laugh or say, Ma, Pa, whatever. And they pull out a, a, a Tommy gun and shoot him. And when the bullets bounce off, then we see the two different things and he goes, is that the uh super menace story yes and it's one of my favorite all-time of ever stories and i did it um several months ago on one of the episodes here on the superman forever radio podcast uh That's probably it's just, when i 
That's yeah. probably when I read it. Yeah, it's a great, great story, and it is always one of my favorites. And that stayed in canon, not an imaginary story. Uh, and that was in canon. One of the other things that I was going to talk about in detail a little more on this particular episode until I read it and thought, I can't talk 40 minutes about that thing. <laughs> uh, the rocket on the way to Earth uh, gets a little lost. And baby Kal-El flies because it's under the, a yellow sun. It passes through a yellow sun star system. So now, of course, he instantly has all of his superpowers and ends up on Brainiac's ship. So little baby Kal-El has an adventure with Brainiac and his monkey. Brainiac had a little blue monkey, Coco. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. oh, my Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. And, of course, hijinks. I'm going to leave that one all for you guys to find that one. Uh, but you really should find it. If not, I'll put some panels up on the Superman Forever page. You can do that, I guess, on Facebook. I found on uh, Mike's Amazing World what a blessed website this is. This is an amazing website. It's an amazing I found the uh, chronology of Superboy. and I'm Just listen to some of these titles. And I'm pretty sure I've read most of these. One of them is... I kid you not, Smallville's War Against Super Baby. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read that. I don't remember exactly what he did to make Smallville declare war on him, but let's think about that for a minute. They went to war. With they the went to war with a baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but he is a toddler with Superman's full set of powers. He could actually accidentally wipe the entire town off of the map. Without thinking about it twice. Yeah. I think they did show him fry a bird once. By accident. Wait, frying a bird? With his heat vision. Or maybe that was a modern comic. That was a modern comic. That was Superman's son. Yeah, so, okay. That um, was John that fried the bird. Jonathan fried the bird. That was during the Tomasi run. Oh, yeah. So, Super Baby, we apologize, never fried a bird with his heat vision. That we know of, huh? I think I've read it. I I would have remembered had I read that, I think. Yeah, but... These are not meant to be great stories, but they're fun. Listen, they were fun. They were a paycheck for the writers who had to write dozens of stories a month to put food on the table. They weren't worried about continuity. No, they weren't. You know, they were trying to entertain some children with some fun stories. And they were successful as far as I was concerned. Uh, As a little kid, uh, because we're saying I was born in 52, 1952. And uh, Super Baby, in all his glory as a flying Super Baby, premiered in 1950. So two years, so there probably had already been four to eight Super Baby stories. I'd have to go back and check. But just in the two years before I was born, there may have been up to four. I think eight's probably too many. But uh, after that, from 1952, and particularly when you get into the mid to late 50s and early 60s, uh, he was a regular feature. He was on covers. He would be down in the corner. He was a sell. He was selling comic books, uh, as weird as that seems. But uh, DC had a number of shootoffs that you would think, what? And yet, there they are making a fortune. And people remember them. 
I hope people remember these things kindly because they really are a lot of fun. They're, they're, you know, I mean, just think of it in your own life. If you've had children or you have children, imagine your toddler, your three to five-year-old, let's say, that has the powers of Superman for crying out loud. So... I couldn't handle. I couldn't handle that. Emily is non superpowered, and I know. How do you keep up with that? And we all know that little children sometimes will just get because they're exactly they're experimenting, they're reaching, they're trying to figure out who they are, what they are, what is that thing, what does that do, who's that? Oh, I can burn things with my eyes. Let's try that. That was fun. No, it 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 is remarkable. And I think that's why we, 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 you know, pile on as the Kents as the greatest, you know, parents of all time to do this, to be able to, you know, harness that to long before Spider-Man said it, we all knew that with great power comes great responsibility because of the Kents. I mean, that was pounded into our heads as little kids reading these super boy, mainly, and super baby stories. Now, so I had to know. So I, I found Adventure Comics 311. Yes. Super Smallville's War Against Super Baby. Yes. I, I, I had to know. You had to know. <laughs> yes. So he squirts himself in the face with green frosting, again, as a kid is wont to do. Of course. And he uh, basically took her baking pan, Ma Kent's baking pan, and fashioned that into a flying saucer and some guy reading amazing science tales <laughs> sees the green-faced super baby on top of this flying saucer and think and think thinks a monster an alien is an alien invasion uh, wonderful oh see see yeah. go to mike's amazing world of dc comics at dc you can pronounce it two word two ways i found out you know it's dc indexes or dot com. So then he, what else does he do? He goes to put out a fire, but instead of blowing it out, he uh, pours milk on it. <laughs> so the flying saucer bit and there's a little milk fiasco. <laughs> they're off to war and the military is coming. <laughs> here, here is the military. <laughs> super baby. He's throwing thanks around and. So, <laughs> Oh my! So much fun. So much. It's so much fun. It's absolute farce. It is. It's just. And and I bet just just listening to you talk about that one, that they did some of that just for the laughs and giggles and the, you know, okay, we can't do this with Superman because it's too silly. But we can do it with these other characters, including Super Baby. And, you know, I, I say it all the time here at Superman Forever that um, people, modern people, uh, uh, cut down Silver Age Lois all the time. How could she not know? How could this? Well, that's just the way it was written. That's a story. And Lois was basically a sitcom. She just wanted to get on... Uh, Ricky's show with like I Love Lucy. Occasionally there would be some great, great stories mixed in with that. Oh, like Jimmy Olsen. Occasionally there are some great, great Jimmy Olsen stories that basically were written as Superman stories that featured Jimmy, so they put him in his own title or reprinted it later in Jimmy. 
but uh, you know, uh, as a Superman fan of all of it, it it you know, with enough hindsight now to look back at these, and I did the same thing as a kid. I'd be reading the stuff and rolling my eyes or laughing ridiculously, and then of course, uh, and see, this is how I'm not prepared at all. What we probably should have done is look up the uh, comment section from Superboy number 9 or 10 when they're talking about their f- seeing a super baby story for the first time. And if the letter column said, hey, like that super baby, more of those stories. And after your story on Superboy 90, most people were talking that my memory was about Pete Ross and not not the super baby story. No, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but the I think with the Superboy stories, who could have known that Pete Ross would hang around? Because there were so many characters that yes. came in and out, and you never saw them again. Never thought of them again. You know, Nobody knew. And uh, there was the kid that Clark helped for his, his shyness. You yeah. know, sandwiched around all of the uh, Professor Lang gets himself in trouble uh, stories. Exactly. Occasionally, a Lana Lang story. Uh, I did one recently where, which really blows continuity at all to you know what and back uh, a teenage bruce wayne shows up in smallville and has to go to school there for a little while and uh, he and superboy solve a mystery together but he dons a fox cowl and cape given to him by lana who got it from her father professor lang or whatever so uh and he even mentions my father is uh no, your father is not. If you're Bruce Wayne and you're about 14 or 15. Your uh, father is dead. Yeah, your, your dad ain't around anymore, buddy. Maybe they haven't told. Maybe they, you've been on a long. He's been on a long trip. <laughs> he has. And that was before uh, Alfred became his father, too. Exactly. Uh, parents. You know, I never thought about that until, until Gotham. Until I watched Gotham. Gotham. How important like, Alfred this, was. This, no, that I never thought about. It. This rich kid doesn't have any other family. Uh, apparently not. Except in in uh, yeah, apparently not. There would have been there had to have been some third uncle twice removed trying to get his hands on that fortune. You would think, you would think there would be somebody. I mean, we all are relative to somebody. I mean, do twenty three and me. There's somebody that's hooked up to you out there. But, yeah, I wonder how close that would have been. Uh, I loved Gotham. I thought Gotham was a great show. It was. It just shows that some of these characters are so good that if you have really good writing, it doesn't matter, you know, the the continuity of the comic or how uh, close it is to what really happened in the comic. Sometimes it's nice to see a what-if story with using those people. Sometimes it works. Sometimes with bad writing, it doesn't. But uh, uh, so far... Sometimes with good writing, it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but I love Super Baby stuff. And uh, I don't read it in my head with all the me-ams. I think right. when I'm reading it, I'm speaking normal. Yeah. English. And your, your mind's interpreting it. I prefer yeah. the Super Baby stories where he gets into... It's a mischief, and, uh, you know, just unintended stuff happens. Right. You know? Right. Oh, those are my favorites. That's the exact I, I don't necessarily need to see him fighting Brainiac. No, and he didn't fight Brainiac. 
the, the funny thing was he was annoying Brainiac on the ship so much. Brainiac finally had to get rid of this annoying kid. It was just, you know, pushing buttons. What does this do? What does that do? That kind of a, was that kind of an episode. They didn't fight at all. Neither knew who the other was. Right. So, uh, and that was also not considered an imaginary story at the time. DC at no. the time would, if it was too far out of continuity, they'd label it as an imaginary story. Yeah. But, but then they could do whatever yeah. they wanted. Mike, what else you got to say about Super Baby? I could talk about him all day. I don't have a whole. You have. You yeah, know. I don't think I've got anything else. At least nothing else uh, of any consequence. Right. Well, I think it's kind Don't of interesting think? that you know uh, uh, we talked about you know really making fun of him and cutting him down, and we didn't do that much. It's funny because when you actually no. start looking at the stories and reading them, they're funny. There is some real humor here and irony, and I love that. I bet some of these stories were done with, you know, uh, the tongue firmly planted in the cheek and a little wink at the adults that may have to read this to their children. Uh, right, and you have to remember who these stories were really written for. Absolutely. And at this time, comics were meant to be or seen as a children's medium. It was a disposable children's medium. Right. You got it for him or her, uh, they read it once or twice and then either gave it away or got thrown away with the news, you know, last week's newspapers. So, and that's uh, why you saw so many reprints and nobody batted an eye. Exactly. In fact, we loved reprints. I, I personally, that's why I loved, uh, uh, as, a, as a kid of the 50s and 60s, I loved in the 60s when they did the Giants. Because right. some of those first giants were comics and stories I hadn't read in real time. They were just before my time. And I loved those. I said, oh, those were so cool. Because how are you going to get Superman 50? You're not. You know? So them putting a story in there from those, even though they still didn't give credit for it, unless it was right. Jerry Siegel or Joe Schuster's name planted on it, they didn't give credit. But anyway, those were just, those were fun stuff. And uh, there are um, giants, 80-page giant, Superboy, 80-page uh, giant, I think, number, th again, I didn't write it down, doesn't matter. One of the 80-page giant Superboys uh, uh, features several super baby stories. Um, you could probably get all of the ones that are, well, maybe not, they're actually more here than I thought they were. Yeah, there's the, the one the ones labeled a super baby adventure and not the ones where, you know, Superman flashes back to when he was super baby. Exactly. And that's where I was was researching, because if you go to a lot of them, a lot of the times it's a mention or a flashback of a few panels uh, right. trying to actually find, you know, the super baby in costume. Most of those were in super boy, not adventure. Because Superboy had three Superboy stories in it. Adventure usually had one Superboy story and a backup story of some other kind. I counted this right. There were 23 Super Baby Adventures, most of which were in Superboy. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes there sense. There was one Smallville's War Against Superboy was an adventure that was uh, adventure, adventure that was 311, and two of them were in Action Comics. Mm. Okay, so you see, good. My my assumptions once again are backed up by actual numbers. Yes, but uh, that's nice to know. 
So Ruby Spears did one other Super Baby story. Yes. Uh, it was the second one because basically what happened to it was Clark uh, at different milestones in his life. You know, the first day of school, he goes out on a scout camping trip. And I didn't really care for the later ones because, honestly, there was one episode. Hmm. I wanted to wash Clark's mouth out with kryptonite. Oh. Because, and the green one. Was he being a little naughty boy, was oh, he? He was being an ass to the, to the other kids on the scout camping trip. Hmm. <laughs> but, that's not, but that's not the one I'm, I want to mention. Uh, there is a trip to the supermarket as Super Baby. Mm. And, you know, you bring a toddler to the supermarket, they do a lot of shopping. Yes, they do. And, well, you know, <laughs> Martha was doing, don't touch that, and he stacks the cans to the ceiling. <laughs> At one point, he's actually sitting on one of the ceiling rafters, so the worker <laughs> has to come up and uh, get him down. And and then there was the one where she he's, he's taking candy, and now Martha comes over and... Uh, She's yelling at him to put the candy back, and of course, there's this other kid there, and the mother comes strutting up. All she needed was a Karen haircut. <laughs> and why are you yelling at my daughter? Like, oh my God, there's, I know parents like that, like that too. Mm-hmm. So he, what else? He uh, he sees hot dogs, and she tells him, no, they're not cooked. So he cooks them with his heat vision, and Martha buys a whole tray, <laughs> has to buy a whole tray of cooked hot dogs. <laughs> He fills the cart up with candy as she's not looking at super speed. And obviously, the first thing that was said to him was when they went in there, don't use your superpowers. Don't use your superpowers. So, and, and as they're driving away, you know, Martha's glad that's over. I'm thinking, where should she do her food shopping from now on? She can't go back to she that. She can't go back there, right. That place is just torn to pieces by a little baby who wants to taste, taste and touch everything. Basically. I'm going to have to look up those Ruby Spears. I don't remember those. I remember them as a whole, as a thing that I know I watched, but I don't remember that individual. It seemed to me that I remembered them being older Clark and tennis shoes and jumping around. And it was it was some of that, too, because we go to the first day of school, you know, him getting his driver's license, his first date with Lana, his road test, you know. All the milestones in a kid's life. That All the milestones. Little, those little four-minute shorts. Uh, of a kid took. with incredible power. And the last one was him arriving in Metropolis as Superman, which could have been its own episode, but it wasn't. It was four minutes. Four minutes. But that's all I got on Super Baby, you know. Again, it's just a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad you came prepared. This was good. We should do this again, Mike. We should, and I've been sitting on this for three years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope it was worth the wait. So this has been marinating for a long time. A long time. Well, the next one will will not be three years. Well, which I'm I'm glad it did take some time because that gave me time to do the to cover the Ruby Spears stuff true. and see those episodes. That's true. We would not have had the Ruby Spears part of this had uh, we done this when we originally talked about it. <laughs> yeah, right. That's amazing. Three years. Well, podcasting is is a a, a thing unto its own, isn't it? It uh, is. You know. But uh, where are they going? Well, they're not going to find you. They can still find the Man of Screen podcast. They can still still find the show. It is still on the Two True Freaks Network. The last episode posted was a long time ago. Well, in your mind, a long time ago was a couple of months. Yeah, it was probably early spring. Right, but it's been this year. Yeah, it was th- it was this year. It was 2021. Right. The uh, but still on the Two True Freaks Network, and the episodes are all there, all 200 and mm. 
five or so of them, plus an odd number of extras. And an almost weekly basis with uh, extras thrown in. Almost weekly for about five years. Yeah, that's an amazing schedule. I don't know how you guys do that. Uh, that's, that's dedication is what it is. It's dedication. It's work ethic. I'm not going to say never to uh, getting back to it. Right. Never say never because I hope the bug time. will bite you again at some point. And whether it's man of screen or something else you come up with, uh, you know, we know uh, a bunch of our podcasting friends have done this. They'll go away. They'll come back with something interesting or not, but they'll go. You know, uh, podcasters uh, kind of like to talk into a microphone. Me so. too. Yeah, and if so. we could talk into a microphone without having to edit it, that's even better. That's even better. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna humana. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, now you have to do the editing. I have to do the editing all the other times. Yeah, now this time I'm gonna have to cut down a three-hour thing into ninety minutes. <laughs> but Mike, thank you so much, man. This was fun. I enjoyed it. And everybody, go find all those episodes of me and Mike talking George Reeves. They are fun. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. You bet. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Mike. That was fun. That was fun. I told you that was going to be fun. And that's what it's meant. That's what the Super Baby stories and some of the Jimmy stories and Lois, they were fun. Okay? It's not a terrible word. It's a good word. Thank you, Mike, for being here. That was, you know, <laughs> a lot of fun. I loved it. What's coming up in the future? The next show, absolutely. I'm going to read your emails, provided you send some, to bob at supermanforever.com. And let's see, next episode will feature my friend, John M. Wilson, who has a new podcast called Superman in Crisis. So he's going to stop by and we're going to talk about his new podcast and a few Superman things in general. It's always good when John and I get together. I always have a good time. That'll be the next time on the Superman Forever radio podcast. Superman is based on the original character appearing in Superman and Action Comics magazines. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Superman Forever Radio. Written, recorded, edited, produced by Bob Fisher. Executive producer, J. David Weeder. That was good. That did good. That was good.